Hmm? Does he speak into the situation or does he totally avoid it and go somewhere else? Well, I'm going to preach into it. And I found this amazing article in the Daily Mail, which I want to read someone, include as part of my sermon this morning. Fred has given me in the past a Reader's Digest, and I'm sure you've all been the happy recipient of a Reader's Digest at some time or the other, by the hand of Sir Fred. In times past, we would have pulled Fred's leg and sure he got inspiration for his preaching out of Reader's Digest. Not alone the jokes that he gave. No? Do you say no, Fred? Okay. But I had an unusual event. Fred handed me the National Geographic magazine yesterday with his mark-up from Reader's Digest. <laughs> so, so, I said, so I said to Fred, is there anything spiritual in anything? No. No, he said, nothing spiritual at all. And so I open them, I look on the front here, and the first thing I read is Pipeline Through Paradise. <laughs> and I know that this morning we're reading about the words that Jesus spoke to the thief and said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. So I read, there is something spiritual in there. There's a multitasking monkey. I think that's what interested Fred about the magazine <laughs> in the first place. But <clears throat> Making robots human. I thought there's a spiritual message there as well. And, um, and, and so, you know, I looked on the pages and, and um, I was looking at different things and I came across this Canon advert. I was going to read it to you. A very particular parrot, the yellow-eared parrot, roosts and nests in one place and one place alone, the wax palm tree. With the wax palm as is its horn base, home base, sorry, the boldly beautiful bird ventures out to find fruit, bark, and buds to eat. A male and female form a breeding pair, while a third bird, called a brood helper, often assists the couple in feeding and caring for them their chicks, an unusual behaviour amongst parrots. Who knows a helper who is the third person of the Trinity? A breeding pair with youngsters and a third parent who is a helper to the brood. I thought there's a wonderful <coughs> spiritual application. So Fred, I just wanted to say, wrong mate. <laughs> Okay. There's this article here about making robots human. There's one thing you cannot do with a robot. It will never have a spirit. It will never have a soul. And it will never be answerable to God. Everybody in this congregation this morning, including me, are answerable to God. A robot will never have to be answerable to God, as wonderful as it may be, as great as it may be. And our story, as we read about Jesus being crucified, and we read about people who actually, surrounding that event, we know that in some way or another, each of those people were answerable to God.
Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of being together. Thank you, Father, for all your goodness to us. And Father, thank you for the wonderful account that we have before us to read when Jesus gave his life for this world. Thank you. The events of the last week have been... The tea now, it's all right. The events of the past week have been um, called Seven Days That Shook England. If you feel the ground shaking, don't worry. It'll be just the coffee and the, and the tea going on out there. Yeah, I know, right. The seven days that shook England, and you could say that. But what we read in, in Matthew 27 is one day that shook the earth. When Jesus died, not only was the ground physically shaken, there was an earthquake. Darkness came over the whole land. And this supernatural thing happened in the Jewish temple. This amazing curtain, which had prevented people from going into the earthly presence of God, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. They were physical things that happened because Jesus died. Physical things that happened because Jesus died. It was a day that shook the earth. Let's just read a few verses. Verse, Matthew 20, 27, 20, verse 27. Jesus is under trial here, and the soldiers are mocking Jesus. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered and the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then wove a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and there they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down. They kept watch over him. Above his head they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. 
He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Leave it there. In the week, my four-year-old grandson was um, picking the last few remaining raspberries on my raspberry bush right next to the greenhouse. And I've got an unusually long cucumber growing in there. It's reached about 17 and a half inches now. Now, I know Fred's grown longer ones than that, but <laughs> to me, that's a long cucumber. And um, I said to him, he, he said, what's that, Granddad? I said, that's a cucumber. He said, wow. And he stood looking at it for a few minutes. And I, he said, you're going to cut it then? I said, no. Why, he said. And I said, I'm going to let it grow a bit more. Grow more, he said. What, bigger than that? That's awesome, <laughs> he said. And I thought to myself, as he watched the cucumber, we're going to read a passage in Matthew this morning. And as you read it, you go, wow. And if you think deeper and look further and understand what it's all about, you have to say, that's awesome. That's awesome. The day that shook the earth. I just want to read some of these things out of the Daily Mail relating to this week because we've got a man in this story called Barabbas. Barabbas was one who caused riots, and that's happened this week. We've had people who've caused riots 
He was also a murderer. And we've seen a rather shocking murder this week. We have seen hurt and violence, and Brabus was one of those. And Brabus was the one that the people chose over Jesus. That's awful. But that's the choice that people make. And in a sense, I'm not speaking out against people who choose that way of life. There is an underlying problem. Basically, there's a spiritual problem underlying all that's going on in our world and throughout the world today, which causes the problems and difficulties. But when we come to Jesus' death on the cross, it's spiritual as well as physical. And I just want to underline that. If it was simply a physical thing, it would be wonderful and great because many people have died for the cause of something. But no person has died for the sin of the world. And that's spiritual. We read the words, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's how Jesus felt, how, how it was, because all our sin was placed on him and he knew that God couldn't accept like that. And so at that point, Jesus wasn't accepted by God. He was forsaken. He was forsaken for our sin, for our wrongdoing, for the wrongdoing of the world. And that's awesome. That one man should die in the place of every living person who should ever enter this planet. That's awesome. Now, these are strong words from the writer in the Daily Mail, and I hope you won't be offended by any of them. This is some of the things he said. Amy Winehouse, a pathetic, drug-infused, alcoholic girl of the very modest talent, is held up as a great diva. And when she died, her house was surrounded by fans laying empty vodka bottles as a tribute. Jane Goody, the foul-mouthed, racist daughter of a pimp and drug pusher who died of a heroin overdose in the lavatory of a Kentucky Fried Chicken, appears on Big Brother and becomes a heroine despite or because of her ignorance and tendency to strip off in front of the cameras. Fornicating footballers who swagger through public lives dripping with gold and jewellery, parading the vulgar acquisitions of their vast wealth, where it is fleets of fast cars or cool girls are venerated by generations who have never so much as heard of the very real heroes of history. In the absence of a moral law, we see a decline in standards in all walks of life. Bankers continue to fill their boots even after they have brought the country to the brink of bankruptcy. Politicians fiddle expenses and see no reason to resign when they have committed wrongdoings. Town hall fat cats pay themselves even greater salaries as Britain slips further into debt. Now I need to explain this man's speaking overall of religious bodies, faith groups, makes a very strong point of the Christian community, but it's an overview of all faith groups. By contrast, everyday Muslim men like Tariq Jahan, this is the man who lost his son, who was mown down, go to the mosque and fall prostrate before the mystery which Immanuel Kant knew lay at the heart of existence. The Sikhs likewise build temples because they feel awe at the starry heavens above them and the moral laws within their hearts. Laws which all men, 
women and children can recognize when they reflect deeply and in silence. The catalogue of great men and women in the past hundred or so years, from Leo Tolstoy in Russia to Mahatma Gandhi in India, from the Lutheran student Sophie Skoll, executed by guillotine aged 22 for her part in the resistance movement to Hitler, to Archbishop Tutu, presiding over the Peaceful Truth and Reconciliation Committees in South Africa, has been the same. All these people have held fast to values which they believed ultimately to be eternal and God-given. Go back 100 years to Winston Green, to South Hall and to Wolverhampton and to all the other scenes of urban violence scarred by horror in the last week. The years before and after World War I were marked for the people who lived in these places by very great economic hardship. Poverty, the crime rate amongst people themselves was much, much lower than it is today. In each of these places there were chapels, often Methodist, which kept alive the human capacity for awe at the starry heavens above and the moral law within. Not everyone attended the services, though thousands did. Nearly everyone, however, in these communities, whether church or chapel, subscribed to the idea that good and evil are given things, not human inventions. The Jewish religion of Lord Jacobovitz told the story of the law of God being written in stone on the mountainside of Sinai and delivered to Moses. Some people choose to believe this happened literally as an historical event. In a memorable episode of Radio 4's The Moral Maze, over 20 years ago, historian David Starkey, an atheist, ribbed Rabbi Hugo Grin about this. The rabbi took the teasing in good part, of course. But as someone who as a child had been interned in Auschwitz, he knew what a society could be like if it embraced the motto of Milton's Satan, evil, be thou my good. He knew that whatever the historical truth about the Sinai story in the book of Exodus, there was an absolute truth in the words, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not steal, and honour thy father and thy mother. He lived in a country ruled over by a satanic Nazi dictator who thought you could disregard moral truth. I suspect that when time passes and we look back on this week, it is the religious sincerity of Tariq Jahan that we shall remember. All of us, Muslims, Sikhs, Jews, Hindus, Christians, have a rich religious inheritance. At the core of this inheritance is a sense of right and wrong. And in all these religions, the school where we learn of right and wrong is in the family. Muslims, Jews, Sikhs and Hindus have all very noticeably retained this twin strand of family structure and ethical teaching. Faith in Christianity itself began to unravel long ago. And the majority of those whose forebears were Christian are now completely secular. They would not even recognize simple Bible stories. The events of the past week have shown the enormous value of a living faith. 
Not only was Tariq Jahan more impressive than any of the commentators or politicians who spouted on the airwaves this week, he was more human. By his religious response to his son's death, he humanised not only the dreadful and immediate tragedy, he showed us that without a religion, we are all less than human. Very strong words. But someone who's actually saying where the real problem is. You don't very often get people. Newsnight this week had um, John Sitamo on it and other people amongst that and not a word was mentioned of God on it. But here's a man who's willing to stand up and say, yeah, the problem is deeper. The problem is spiritual. And when we look at the cross, which we're doing this morning, we're looking, as Barbara said yesterday morning, when we see the cross... That's the answer. And that can be a very simplistic message. The cross is the answer. But in actual fact, it is the answer. One thing happened for Barabbas, and that was someone took his place. Someone has said, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but the third cross was for Barabbas, the one in the middle. And it says this, If that was meant for Barabbas and Jesus died on that cross, someone else took his place. We don't read of any response from Barabbas to what Jesus did, but he was released as a murderer, a rioter, and someone who would bring the community down. And that's what the people wanted. That's what they wanted. But Barabbas went free. And that underlines a very real point of the gospel story, the gospel, the grace of God is, when Jesus died, we go free. There's an underlying message throughout the whole of the Bible, which is almost disputed today, and that is that Jesus did not die in our place. And some quite prominent theologians are actually saying this, that Jesus did not die in our place. I just want to say to you this morning and underline that truth. When Jesus died, he died for you. He died in your place. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for the sin of the whole world. And it's a word the Bible uses as substitution. It's the fact that Jesus died in our place. All through the Bible, you will read of lambs and animals dying because people had done wrong. (coughs) Something died in a person's place. It's substitution. And the whole message of the cross is that Jesus died in our place. He took our sin upon himself. And for Barabbas, he went free. Barabbas means son of the father. But Jesus' name also means son of the father. Now I thought to myself, why would the parents give the name Barabbas unless there was some notoriety about the father? Why do you want to carry on someone's name? It's either something that's very good or something which is very bad. You know, and they saw this young child, we call him Barabbas, and say, he's a son of the father. Maybe he was a rioter as well, I don't know. But when it comes to Jesus... The whole truth about him is 
that he is the Son of the Father. In every true way, the Son of God, we say. Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. He died in our place. He died for Barabbas. Barabbas went free. And you know, when we come to the cross and we see what Jesus died, he's offering us freedom. Freedom from everything. Maybe Barabbas didn't realise it, but I just want you to realise it this morning. I think God would have you realise this morning that Jesus died in your place. I'm just going to look a little bit more into that as we look at the one of the thieves, one of the robbers. Actually, I turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 23 because we read the story a little bit deeper in Luke 23. As you find Luke 23, I just want to repeat the verse I read earlier in, in chapter Matthew 27. It said this about the robbers. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him also heaped insults on him. So, not only were the people mocking Jesus, the two robbers, and we are told one was on the right and one was on the left. Now, I've read theological arguments about this this passage that were more people crucified than just two people. But I love the simplicity of that statement there, which Matthew brings out, one on the right and one on the left. You can't argue with scripture, can you? Not that it's that important in the end anyway. But one was on the right and one was on the left. Now in Luke 23, I just want us to read from verse 35. The people stood watching. Now we may have watched the video this morning. And we watched it graphic as it was. Perhaps it was a good thing for some people. We didn't show it because it is very graphic. The scripture has reminded us this morning that what happened in Calvary is something to look at. Whether we're here in 2011, or whether we're just there on the occasion, or whether it's going to be in a year's time, the Bible calls all people to watch what happened at the cross. It's worth watching because it's the most important event in history. It was the day that shook the earth. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a lovely story. Outcry to war cry. The events of the last week. What was initially an outcry became a war cry. And if you read the papers today, the war cry is building. <laughs> There's that sense of justice wanting to be seen. You could say about the cross where Jesus died, well, can't anybody see the justice? No, you won't see it in a way. But the very fact that Jesus died is the pathway to justice. It's the pathway to where everyone can find what is offered through the fact that Jesus died. For this robber, I just want to concentrate. We've looked at Barabbas. I just want to con concentrate on this robber for a moment or two. Just two people in this story, in this robber. Here's a man <coughs> pinned to a cross of wood. He can't make a movement. He can't make a journey. In actual fact, he's so weak, he can't do anything. And he's pinned to a cross. You know, it's almost as if God's finger is upon him. He can't make a move whatsoever. He can't go to church. He can't go to synagogue. He can't be baptised. He can't return to someone and say sorry. And that fact, he can't do anything. He's just pinned to a cross. And yet, in a spiritual moment, without the ability or without the chance to do anything, he has a spiritual moment. And this spiritual moment is actually turned to Jesus. You know, we can never make a spiritual movement towards God in any sort of way unless we begin to consider Jesus. That's the first step. The first step is through Jesus. The Bible tells us quite clearly that no man can come to God unless it's through Jesus Christ. That's the way we come to God. That's we approach him. His first spiritual move was to look and turn to Jesus. And so he, there was this moment of revelation came to him. The moment of revelation came that he saw that he was there because of what he did. And in that point in time, he recognised that he was answerable to God. You say, all this is going on, he's so weak, he's just pinned to a cross, what can he do? Nothing. He can't go and shake someone's hand, he can't touch Jesus, he can't even bow his head. But he can say something. It was a moment of spiritual revelation. It was the moment that God revealed his sin to him and he changed his mind from <coughs> mocking Jesus to seeing Jesus as a chance. And I believe God would have us this morning to see each one of you that Jesus is your only chance. It's your only hope of glory. It's your only hope. And as we look on the events of this past week, there is only one answer, as Barbara said yesterday, and that's Jesus. And Jesus was on that cross, and although he couldn't move, he ran to the cross. He ran in his spirit to the cross. This man, we've done what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And that is true. Just to underline there that the Bible tells us that in him was no sin. 
If there had been sin in Jesus, he could have never been there for us. We saw about Barabbas that someone took his place. Now Jesus could have never taken our place if he did had sin, because he was perfect. He had to be a perfect sacrifice, as it were. Something to be offered in our place. And he was offered in our place. And God accepted that sacrifice. No chance, no chance to do anything, but there was chance to change his mind. You know, God's given you that opportunity to change your mind this morning. If you have held off, and people come here week by week, I know, and you hold off from making that step. Now, for this robber, it was 11th hour conversion. Now, Christians aren't usually into 11th hour conversions, <laughs> you know, doing things at the last minute. If you ask Margaret, you say, David always does things at the last minute. I don't do things unless I really have to, I tell you. <laughs> Even if I have to leave it to the last minute. You know, I've done things very hastily in the past and regretted I've done them. <laughs> so I wait a little longer now. But this man, it was 11th hour. We had an evangelist going around the doors in Sturry where I lived many years ago. And um, he knocked on the door, one lady, and he was talking to her about Jesus, probably about this, what was going on in here, about Jesus dying, you know. And she said, I believe in 11th hour conversion. And he said, yes, ma'am. He said, but you're one minute to midnight. You know, four years, I think it was four or five years ago, there was an accident on the Thanet Way. And Margaret and I were in Whitstable, and we got delayed one or two minutes making our journey home. You remember that, Sarah? You're nodding. She remembers it. And um, we actually <clears throat> came up to this accident. If we'd have been one or two minutes, we would have been right in the midst of that, we think. We don't know for certain. But I do know this, that the woman who died had heard about Jesus in the nursery opposite us in Eddington Lane the day before. 11th hour conversion, yeah, it is possible. And it's quite feasible. But, you know, the Bible actually encourages us to do things, to do it now, while we have the opportunity. Call out to God. The Bible says, call out to the day of trouble and he will hear. And that's precisely what this robber did. He called out to God and he heard him. Is it wonderful that Jesus, even in his own suffering, in those last fleeting moments before he gave up his own life, he heard the cry of this one man. And you know, each of us in a sense comes to a point in our lives where we need to cry out to God, you know, and to get an answer from him. Lord, he said, Lord, that's what he called Jesus, remember me, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Wow, what an amazing phrase to use. For a man who's dying pinned to a cross, couldn't do anything. In a moment of spirituality, this, in a sense, was his confession of faith. His confession of faith. The Bible calls us 
to make a confession of faith. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the call that we have. That's the answer, that's the response. If we cry out to him in the day of trouble and he hears us. And the wonderful reply from Jesus, it's a reply that each of us can receive and accept today. It says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. That man was going to die in that moment, but he was right with God. He talked to Jesus, but God heard him. It's quite simple, really, isn't it? When we recognise our own sin. But if we come through Jesus, and he hears our cry, and we call out to him, he actually gives us the answer. Though the answer is one of assurance. You know, you won't find any people in this world today have no real assurance. I really don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm really uncertain. I'm not sure how it's all going to work out. But you know, when Jesus, when the truth of Scripture gives us the reply, it's one of being certain. You know that God has dealt with you and your sin has gone. When Jesus takes your sin because he died for you, when he takes it, it's gone. No more worry, no more concern. It's there, free. Barabbas went free, but in another way, when we trust Jesus as saviour, we're set free. Free. Free to worship him. Free to have all that God has provided, those blessings which he gives to us each day. So this robber, no second chance, no community service experience, it was a spiritually only opportunity of a lifetime, an amazing demonstration of God's grace. And I think that little picture tells us really the heart of the gospel of God's grace to us. There's nothing we can do, only receive. If you talk to some people and you say about, yeah, but for, uh, I've got to do this first, you know, and I've got to do that first. Now, I did that so many years ago and I need to deal with that. No. That man couldn't do a thing. He just received. His approach to God was spiritual. Faith is spiritual. The need in our land is spiritual. There's this verse in the Bible which says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You say, where can I find contentment? At the cross. When we find Jesus as saviour, we actually find peace. Jesus bought that wonderful gift with his blood. That we might know that peace. And so this morning, the opportunity is yours. There's this little story, and I'll close with this. Her name was Ruthanna Metzgar. If you've read, if you've read the book on heaven by Randy Alcorn, you would have read this story. She was a great singer, American singer, who was asked to sing for a very wealthy man, and she sang at the wedding. She'd had an invitation, her and her husband, and she'd sang at the wedding, made their way up the stairs, posh stairs, and uh, to the place where the reception was being happen was happening. And she was queuing. She came to the person who was 
looking at the list and arranging people going to their seats and all this. And um, he looked down the list. And there was no one by Metzgar in this name of this list. She said, it must be. It must be, because I, I sung at the wedding. She says, I can't, you might have sung at the wedding, she says, but your name's not in this book. Your name's not in this book. And they couldn't understand it. And as a husband drove away, they didn't talk for miles. He was so upset. They'd walked past all this lavish food on the table and they'd seen all the tables so wonderfully laid out. And eventually when they did talk, the husband said, what happened? Well, she said, I was so busy, I didn't reply to the invitation. I didn't reply to the invitation. The Bible tells us whoever's name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life cannot be part of God's heaven. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? It can be today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. Lord, as I speak to you now, I pray, Father, you know each person sitting here. I, I see some faces I normally see, but I have this strange feeling, Father, that not everyone knows their names in the Lamb's Book of Life. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you, would you just cause any person who wants to call out to you today to call out, Lord Jesus, for what to you, for what you can do. Lord Jesus, would you save some precious soul here today because you showed your love so much for every one of us at the cross. We just give you our praise. We give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.